Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Distilled Podcast. My name is Jonathan Gaby, and I'm your master distiller here on the show. On this podcast, you'll hear from industry experts as well as myself to learn more about marketing and take what might be complicated and hard to understand topics and distill them down into actionable strategies and well-executed tactics for your business, organization, or brand. Whether you're new to marketing, social media, digital marketing, heck, anything online, or you've been doing this for quite some time, you're sure to hear something new, get a fresh perspective, or reinforce what you've already learned. You might even get a new idea for your next marketing campaign, product, or service. So pour yourself a beverage, grab a pen and paper, or just sit back and relax and enjoy this next episode of Marketing Distilled. And we are joined today by Matt Bailey, who leads the uh, SiteLogic uh, service that trains uh, digital marketers. Matt Bailey teaches digital marketing to the world's biggest brands and at the most recognized universities. Matt travels around the world teaching a wide range of digital marketing topics to teams within the world's most iconic brands. He's taught Google employees how to use Google Analytics. Who'd have thunk? Uh, Experian, how to present data, or is it data? I don't care. Uh, custom developed digital marketing workshops for folks at Microsoft, Disney, Nationwide, Orange, Hewlett Packard, a little marketing company called Procter & Gamble, and IBM. Matt's training curriculum is used at Duke University, Rutgers, Purdue, University of South Florida, George Washington University, Full Sail University, and all the others in the uh, SEC tournament. That's not in the paper, just me. Uh, according to Microsoft, quote, Matt has an uncanny ability to simplify the complexity of digital marketing into concepts that are understandable, relatable, and ultimately to do from developing real estate websites in 1996 to starting his own digital marketing agency, Matt has been at the forefront of entrepreneurship and digital marketing. 
In 2015, he pivoted from his agency business to focus full-time on training. And in 2020, he earned his Master's of Education in Instructional Design and Technology. Matt is the digital marketing instructor for the ANA, that's the Association of National Advertisers, an instructor for LinkedIn Learning and Standards Contributor for the OMCP. That stands for Online Marketing Certified Professional, the International Standards Certification and Licensing Program for all digital marketing education. Not to be undone, Matt Bailey has written three books, and they are called Internet Marketing, An Hour a Day in 2011, Wired to be Wowed, in 2015, and a favorite that I'm going to have to read when I get off this podcast interview, Teach New Dogs Old Tricks. When he isn't immersed in the universe of marketing and technology, Matt spends most of his time being a husband and a dad to four girls and beekeeping. Whatever time is left is spent reading history, culture, or philosophy books. A self-proclaimed coffee snobbed, uh, he absolutely loves a good cup of joe, especially while reading. I'd like to welcome Matt Bailey to the Marketing Distilled podcast. How are you doing today, Matt? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you, Jonathan. I really appreciate the invitation. Well, it's a it's a privilege and an honor to to have you on for sure. Um, according to your bio, you're a real coffee snob. So t- <laughs> tell me how tell me how that worked out. I mean. You, Working late I, hours got to keep you fueled with the caffeine no, and whatnot. I, I don't drink it for the caffeine. Not anymore. Um, now, it started out when I first started drinking coffee, I was in the Army. And it was one of those where it was Army coffee, where mm. it sat in the bun coffee maker all day long. And and you'd just go get the sludge. And that's where I started. And, and I just developed a really bad coffee habit. But uh, shortly after that, someone got me started on actually like – how to choose coffee. And so now I get beans freshly roasted from roasters all over the country, all over the world. Uh, I grind it right before I brew it. Ooh, wow. I, I either use the, you know, the pour over or the, uh, a couple other things, um, the, the AeroPress. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I've got a certain temperature, the water and the certain water. And yeah, it just, it, it, it takes a hold of you. Wow. But, yeah, I just wake up in the morning and I crave the taste of coffee. Uh, not really the caffeine. I don't do much with that. Man, I when I get up in the morning, I crave water and coffee because if if I don't have my coffee, I'm I'm unbearable. I mean, just don't just don't talk to me until I have my <laughs> third cup. And and you know, Matt, it's interesting. I see people on like Instagram and other platforms that are like really into like the Chemex and they're weighing the grounds and stuff like that. I wish I was at, at that level, but <laughs> man, I, I'm just putting my Kroger coffee in my Keurig pod that, that I reuse and put it in Keurig and, and I'm, I'm good to go. But on the, on the, uh, rare occasion that I do get out of my four walls and in my compound, um, I, I do go to, uh, a coffee shop in Covington. I'm in the Cincinnati mm-hmm. area. It's uh, oh, yeah. called, yeah. it's called Carabello coffee. And mm-hmm. I've I've never had coffee like the coffee that I have uh, there. It it doesn't taste bitter. It's smoother yep. than anything else I've ever had. And um, you know, I, I don't know if this is bad on me or you know I need to you know sophisticate my palate or whatever. 
But whenever I go to a coffee shop, I'm just like, whatever's on tap, put it in a yes. cup and I'm going to drink it because I don't need you to put cream and sugar in there. Because <laughs> why would I buy coffee at like six bucks a, uh, a cup and, and have you ruin it by uh, artificial sweeteners and crap? But Oh, yeah, it's it's got to be black. And yeah, kind of the same. I like those uh, mom and pop coffee shops. Yeah. Um, chances are they've got something really good. Uh, I always like to ask what kind of bean it is. Um, you know, is it South South American? Is it African? Is it, uh, you know, where does it come from? Uh, that way I kind of know what to expect now. Yeah. Um, oh, just, wow. You okay. kind of learn just the different beans from the different regions have a, their own uh, makeup. Um but yeah, just getting it black. I, I yeah, I can't drink. Uh, I don't know what the chain store coffee. Um, it, it just it's burnt. It it just leaves a bad taste. Uh, <laughs> it's so, bad when they can it, and it's bad when they brew it, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I don't know. It's it's one of those things. Um, you know, I see what you're drinking there, and and I think you know, it, it has an aroma, it has a taste. You can, you can distinguish between different kinds of beans. So, you know, very similar to, uh, you know, to the stilled beverages, they yeah. each have a nuance based on where they're from, how they're prepared. And, you know, it's a very sensory experience. Now, to those of you who are, are not familiar with the Marketing Distilled <laughs> podcast, uh, it kind of has this, uh, it takes a life of its own sometimes because I like to, to drink uh, some bourbon, uh, Kentucky's signature beverage. Uh, today it is Wild Turkey 101. Uh, oh. If you're if you're on like um, if you go back two episodes, there are some tasting notes there. I think that's episode. This is uh, eleven or twelve. No, it's eleven. Uh, so it'll be like eight, I think. Anyhow, um, but yeah, uh, I, I like to drink my bourbon. But as I said once, I like to 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 drink one glass at a time. Uh, one bottle at a time. I don't have a collection. I mean, I've got like uh, a bottle of Elmer T. Lee. Uh, don't <laughs> don't um, don't ding me on this, but I think it's Elmer T. Lee small batch. It might be single barrel. Okay. Um, don't ding me on that. I'm I'm not a connoisseur or anything, but uh, I do have a bottle of that. But I won't ever drink it because it's signed by Elmer T. Lee and oh. uh, my. Uh, uh, my congressman when I lived in Frankfurt. So it's uh, it's signed by Elmer T. Lee and uh, Andy Barr. Uh, but, you know, it's not a pol politics uh, podcast at all. Um, <laughs> and and beekeeping. Nice. Uh, beekeeping is is like a thing that you never hear anything about these days. Like, mm -hmm. how the heck did you get into beekeeping? And, and <laughs> like, what do you do with it? Uh, so a friend of mine... Uh, you know, in town uh, was a beekeeper. He, he kept probably about five, six colonies. And uh, well, one day there is a swarm of bees uh, on a tree right next to my deck. So I took a picture, sent it to him saying, you know, what do I do? Do you, you know, can you help me with this? And his response was, well, have you ever wanted to keep bees? Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, sure. Yeah. So he brought over my first you know, set of boxes, yeah. got the bees off the tree down into the box. And it, that ended up being my first colony, probably had it for about, uh, well, I want to say probably about three or four years. Um, they, they would just produce and, and, you know, and then I caught a couple more swarms, had a couple more hives and really just got hooked on it. Uh, huh. There's not a whole lot you have to do. Just make sure that they're taken care of, that you're expanding. But 
But then again, you know, it kind of takes on a life of its own. You know, I'm right up the road from you, Northeast Ohio, and the winters we get are pretty extreme. Yeah. And I lost a couple of hives to the the weather, um, especially early spring when it starts to warm up and then it freezes again. That will uh, that really wipes out a lot of hives. So what I investigated and what I'm doing now is building uh, long hives which are much more insulated. It's made out of two by 12s instead of a half inch plywood. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's insulated for the weather. And last year was the first time I put bees in in the fall. Not only did they survive, they have just gone. They've been amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm in the process right now of building two more because I have two more colonies that I caught this spring. Um, but there's nothing like fresh honey right out of the hive and, yeah. uh, oh, it just, it makes it, and I do so much with it. We don't sell it. We just kind of use it. We'll give it away or anything like that. It's more of a, a private hobby. I mean, like your local honey people would, would like pay $6 for a pint of honey or, you know, well, whatever the value oh, yeah. is there, I'd shoot, <laughs> I'd, I'd sell it if, if I were that ambitious. Um, uh, that I, takes more work than I'm willing to put in. Yeah, I, <laughs> I my uh, my dad, uh, he he went through a beekeeping phase uh, when I was real little, and I I, I thought it was was really fun. I got into like you know you had to put on the long canvas gloves so that you wouldn't get stung, and yeah, um, you know the bee bonnet. So I had I looked like I was going on safari every day, which is kind of <laughs> cool. Uh, nowadays, I guess they have like this this horseshoe looking uh, bonnet that you wear. Um, depending on where you get it from. And it was just really interesting. Like the, sm the, you, I get the smoker ready, I'd smoke them out and we'd, we'd harvest and, uh, get the, the honey from it. And the honey tasted amazing. Like yeah, nothing you've nothing ever had. Good. I mean, it, it's so much better. The stuff that you get, that you make yourself these mm -hmm. days. There's um, no sugar water. Um, there, there's a, uh, kind of a, a, a quote unquote bee farm, uh, down the street from me and, and my wife will, I, I'm not allowed to say anything when we drive by because it is all commercial and there's, 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 uh, sugar water everywhere. Mm. And, and I'm like, this guy's honey has got to be some of the worst. It'll look great, but he feeds his bees just all pure sugar water. Mm. And, uh, it makes a difference in the honey. It, it, it thins it out. It doesn't taste as well. Um, when you're getting it from the pollen around the area, you know, not, you're, you're not just cheating the bees, you're cheating yourself because there's so many health benefits from eating local honey. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm not allowed to say anything when we drive by because I, I complain just a little too much about it. <laughs> you always have to give vets when you're going by the bee farm. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's this guy doing? <laughs> yeah. He doesn't know anything what he's doing. So uh, again, you're, you're into history and philosophy and culture. So is there like a, like a area of history, like a time in history that you're really keen on or. Oh, wow. Like, that's a great question. Um, Are you pre-construction or after reconstruction, you know, in American history or what, you know? Um, I wouldn't say it's even American history. Um, I, I, you know, I, I would say it's more based on the travel I do. I want to know more about where I've been. Okay. Um, so, it, you know, for a long time, I studied Chinese history. Um, just understanding the different regions and, and what they went through. But 
Um, it's more understanding how sort of waves of thought change a region. Uh, so everything from the, you know, the fall of Rome uh, in that area, but even, you know, I, I, I would say even into the Reformation around, you know, those types of things. Like I'm reading a book right now on uh, Caravaggio, who mm. was uh, an Italian uh, artist and is known for his is, you know, was one of the earliest people to depict uh, not these stylized, graceful humans. His people, you know, it was dark, dark in the background and then piercing light. Um, he was very, very different in his approach uh, and also probably one of the most, uh, I don't know, violent artists of his time. So uh, it's it's kind of around that uh, the Renaissance time, but it's just a, a fascinating read. Uh, so it's kind of like that. I'll, I'll get onto different characters or different times and okay. just kind of learn what I can. Huh. Interesting. Like I, I would... I would peg myself to be like either Civil War buff is, is kind of what what I'd be interested in. My uh, my mom and I, my my mom's a history teacher, so oh yeah. Uh, when, when I took AP US history, uh, that whole semester of of high school was was unbearable because not only would I have to ace the quiz at at, at the <laughs> class, I'd I'd get a pop quiz at the dinner table over my you know Hungarian goulash or whatever, and that was just mom. I met home hush <laughs> anyway uh but but that's cool that that helps me get to know you uh i mean uh, in in these podcast episodes they're always like let's ask you these questions and things like that i just like to peel back the onion and give give our listeners a little bit more to uh think about and you know get to know each other and uh, i'm gonna take a short break uh pay off a, a bill or two and come back with some uh marketing questions this episode of Marketing Distilled is brought to you by Agora Pulse. As a marketer, you may very well be overwhelmed managing your social media from creating content consistently, responding to comments and your audience, and figuring out what is working and what isn't in your business. Meet Agora Pulse. Agora Pulse helps you stay organized and save time with Agora Pulse's social media inbox, publishing, reporting, and monitoring tools. Plus, if you have a large team, Agora Pulse has collaboration, moderation, and editing tools built right in. Join folks like Ogilvy, Shipt, Confluent Health, and over 31,000 other social media managers by signing up today for your free 15-day trial. Visit jonathangaby.com slash agorapulse to get started. That's jonathangaby.com slash A-G-O-R-A-P-U-L-S-E. And we're back at the Marketing Distilled podcast. I'm Jonathan Gaby, your master distiller. And I'm also joined by Matt Bailey, who is a uh, digital marketing trainer at SiteLogic. And now that we've gotten to know Mr. Bailey and his proclivities for the, the beehives and the, and the coffees and just finding out history of, of where he's been, I um, want to break down, kind of get to know your career now. Um, uh you know, marketing is kind of one of those fields where you're either in it from the beginning or you might get into it at a later time in your life. So have you always known that you wanted to be in marketing or did you take some kind of a circuitous route to become a, a marketer? 
You know, I, I, as far as I can remember, I've always been fascinated by advertising. Um, you know, my mother even said, my mother's a teacher as well, Jonathan. And, you know, she always said, Lord, you, you, are, you could sell anything. Um, so, you know, I kind of had that reputation growing up. Um, and actually, when I went to university, I, I got a degree in journalism. Okay. And I took a few marketing classes and they were probably one of the most boring classes I took in my entire experience. Um, there was some equations and stuff. I'm like, what does this have to do with marketing? I thought I would be learning some of this, you know, right brain stuff of how creative and all that. But it was more focused on direct marketing and modeling and statistics. And hmm. I'm like, this is not for me. Interesting. Um, that plays out later in your career. But anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um but I was still drawn to, you know, you know, I had it in my mind, you know, one of the local ad agencies that maybe design or something like that. Um, but then I found myself, you know, building websites. And hmm. in the late 90s, there weren't a whole lot of people who knew how to build a website. Number two, understood how search engines worked. And what was amazing is I, I figured out how search engine optimization worked because SEO was based on how you structured a page and the keywords you used. And how I built my websites was based on what I learned in journalism. Headlines, subheadings, bullet points, you write uh, with your keywords in your headline and then the most mm -hmm. important content in the, you know, in the first paragraph and down from there. So everything I had learned in journalism and in journalism also page layout enabled when I started building my websites immediately, I saw results. Huh. Uh, it didn't take much to reverse engineer that and see, oh, you know, these things are connected. This is how it works. Uh, and then go from there. And then I ended up in the agency world because they needed people who could market websites and do optimization. Hmm. Interesting. So it, when, when I was growing up in, in like around the same time period in, in like the, the late nineties, I had, uh, signed up for a GeoCities website. Yes. And and learn how to code some basic sites from HTML. And, you know, I, I don't think even CSS was a thing back then because to like change color of type or whatever you had to in the HTML tag, just say color equals quote red, <laughs> go on. So uh kind of had an appreciation for that as well. And, you know, GeoCities was interesting because you got like stock on GeoCities and I like got Yahoo stock now that they merged. Wow. It's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I'll tell you the story about that later. I, I think uh, for the listener, you might want to tune into that uh, bonus episode about Social Media Day 2022, about my journey into social media, where we talk about GeoCities. Anyhow, um, so we're, we're at the very beginning of, of your career, and, and I read that you, uh, you first built an online real estate business in 1997. Why did you create it then, and uh, what did you learn from that experience? Well, I was dealing with a lot of commercial properties, um, both office properties as well as uh, hospitality properties like bed and breakfasts and some things like that. And to advertise those types of properties at that time, you're limited to newspapers, which, uh, you know, in the local area, there was some cost to that. But then again, the the target audience for commercial properties is national or international. And so all my ad, ad options were regional. And then I looked into, you know, I had a great 
bed and breakfast property that I was selling. And I looked into something like Southern living or country living. And I think like a, a full color, full page ad was $10,000. Like, oh man, you know, so it was one of those where, you know, I, I saw some other people doing it. And so I, you know, in my basement, uh, over the next few months, it's, I'm going to teach myself how to do this. And really within a few days to a few weeks of launch, I'm starting to get inquiries. Huh. Uh, it was just amazing that I was putting something out there that people wanted and the amount, I, I mean, within a year, uh, hundreds of leads created from the website. So it blew my mind. Not only was I getting this out here, but how many people were already online at that time and looking for what I had. So that, that was part of, uh, you know, why I went around doing that. And then just, I even remember my broker and I, I, I love him. He has been an incredible mentor to me. But at that time, I remember him saying, you know, Matt, I wouldn't put too much time into this internet thing. <laughs> and yeah. I still tease him about that. <laughs> there are still those guys that say, no, nah, I wouldn't put so much stock in this internet thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know where that's going to go, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're, we're still waiting for all this to play out for sure. Yeah, really, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, never know where it's going to go. <laughs> now, now you're, you, you created an agency, uh, I guess, geared towards you know, putting into place the, the website design, your journalism and your SEO practice. Uh, maybe I have a, another question about that, but uh, why did you decide to focus on a website and SEO? Is it just the things that you learned the most about and could, could speak to, or is that where you really felt that that's where your market was headed? Um, well, that was kind of the core. I mean, that's where it started. I, I started by building the website then I, I learned from somebody else that, hey, I'm doing a search for real estate in, in, this, in Ohio and you're coming up at the top of the rankings everywhere. So then I put that together. Uh, then it came to, uh, I've only got a certain amount of time. I can work on my website in the evening. So where should I start? What's going to be the, the biggest return? Well, that got me started on analytics is how do I measure uh, the results of my efforts, whether it's SEO, whether it's uh, lead management, uh, if, is it adding new content? You know, what were the things that were creating results that I wanted? And beyond that, it got into not just higher rankings as results, but sales. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was really doing the bare bones of a CRM back then on a spreadsheet to see where were my leads coming from and which leads were turning into sales and which leads weren't and where did they come from? So I was tracking the source of all those leads. Uh, and, and so then it got me into areas of design, uh, accessibility, mm. uh, making sure my website could be seen by anyone, regardless of what they're using to access it, whether it's a screen reader uh, or anything like that. And so, you know, it just sort of developed from there. And then I realized, you know, I don't know when content marketing became a term. I can't remember when it was started to be used, but I'd been doing that since day one. Yeah. I was I was creating and producing content, multimedia that people wanted to see. Right. Uh, I would put pictures. I'd put, uh, you know, at that point, video on a website was difficult, but we could do the 360 view if you downloaded a plugin into your browser. And yeah. so, you know, I've always been an advocate of you create the content that people want 
you'll rank for it. Uh, so it, it's just been one of those that over the years, just adopting a new skill as it becomes vital to growing the business or mm-hmm. growing other businesses, you just kind of learn it, adopt it and go. Now you graduated with a journalism degree in like, I want to say like 92. Is, yeah. Is that, okay. <laughs> 92. Uh, I have like a very limited photographic memory. If I look at something, I might be able to remember it. So when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, I saw, okay, cool. Um, so so the, they didn't teach you that in school, obviously. You, no. you kind of uh, use that to, you know, use your journalism experience to inform your, your marketing on your website development and your SEO practices. Mm-hmm. How did you learn that skill? Did, was it just a lot of Googling SEO or reading books on SEO at the time? I mean, um, a lot of it was just um, every it just SEO is one of those things that has always made always made sense to me. OK, um, I, I would have an idea and like, well, you know, maybe I should try this. And it makes sense that that would work because of this and this and this. I understood information retrieval. I understood, uh, you know, databases and, and how they would be assessing pages. Um, and, and I would and I would make an informed guess that this is what I'm going to do. And then probably a few weeks to a, a month or two later, I would hear someone say something in the forums and it would confirm what I assumed. Mm-hmm. It, and, and it just that's the way it played out. It just SEO has never been a mystery for me. It, it always has made perfect sense. Um, and, and even today when I'm teaching people how to do SEO, it's, it's, I'm trying to tell them it's not a mystery. It is simple information retrieval. It is, you know, how to write for people to answer their questions. Uh, and, and most of what I teach them is don't even think about the search engine. Think about the person on the other side of the screen. And, and that's what will enable you to do well. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those, like you said, I, so I graduated in 92 with a journalism degree. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I know I didn't want to do journalism, uh, after my, uh, (laughs) such an ironic thing. Yeah. After my internship, that was not a choice. So it was a couple of years, you know, I just sort of wandered around. What am I going to do? And I feel like, I, I mean, I, I've joked about this, that I was made to do this hmm. because it just this whole digital marketing realm has always been easy for me. It's just makes sense. Um, it, it's just one of those things. I feel like my brain was created and wired for this industry. Interesting. Very interesting. I can't explain it's, it. it's, it's well, no other no other reason there. <laughs> I mean, it just goes to show you that, you know, that there are lots of different industries and lots of different people that occupy them and their being in that industry just makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. My brother's an engineer. I can't imagine him doing anything else because he, he looks, he thinks he acts like an engineer and it's what he's always wanted to do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a slider and a, a compliment. Um, it's a compliment. I, I, I've seen some engineers, <laughs> man. And it's like, they're, they're kind of a, a rough crowd to be a part of. <laughs> Um, interesting. Well, uh, I've got another couple of bills to pay real quick and right. we'll get back with some in-depth marketing questions that everybody wants to know the answers to. 
This episode of Marketing Distilled is brought to you by WP Engine. WP Engine is the world's leading WordPress digital experience platform that gives enterprises and agencies the agility, performance, intelligence, and integrations they need to drive their business forward faster. WP Engine's combination of tech innovation and an award-winning team of WordPress experts is trusted by over 60,000 companies across over 140 countries to provide counsel and support to help brands create world-class digital experiences. I use WP Engine exclusively because of their strength in using WordPress and their unbeatable support when I need help. Get started by visiting jonathangaby.com slash WP Engine. That's jonathangaby.com slash WP Engine. So we're back again with Matt Bailey, and I've got some uh, marketing-styled questions for him to try to answer. Uh, the goal of the—I'm uh, sure he'll—he'll—he'll he'll, he'll pass these questions with flying colors. I mean, I don't know the answer to them, so I can't grade him against that anyhow. Um, but the the goal of this uh, podcast, marketing distilled, is really to. Uh, take big concepts and distill them down into actionable strategies and tactics, like I said in the beginning. And um, so hopefully it's good that I can share some some of my expertise with my audience, but sometimes my audience doesn't listen to me. So that's where I bring experts in to say, you know, oh, you know, I heard it from Matt Bailey. So I've been telling you this all the time. But anyhow, um, <laughs> My, my first question, I guess, is uh, that you seem to focus a lot on your work on data and analytics on that data, uh, from mm -hmm. what I could gather on your website at sitelogic.com, which also re resolves to sitelogicmarketing.com, if you're paying any attention. Uh, I guess this could be a dumb question, but why should marketers and business owners focus so much on their data? And uh, second part of that question is, what do you think is the best approach broadly don't, don't give away billable hours or anything uh, to get started or to get a handle on their numbers. Mm -hmm. well, great, great question, because I would say the reason why I started focusing on that is because um, I've been in sales, uh, you, you know, in that gap in between graduation and, and actually starting on, you know, a career in the Internet and digital marketing. I did a lot of sales and did sales training. And so you know, part of sales, you know, ultimately, how do you, how are you measured? You're measured by sales. You're measured by uh, the amount of money you create. And so that was in my head. Then uh, when I started looking at how's my website business going, uh, I'm not going to measure by how many leads. I'm not going to measure by the rankings because those didn't bring cash in the door. Mm -hmm. What brought cash in the door was sales. And so that, that ability to create, here's the, you know, here's the bottom line. If that's not happening, then nobody cares about any of this. Uh, one of the things that really made a difference is when I started doing a lot of lead tracking with the, the website, I found that most of my leads were coming from search engines. However, I, I believe it was, it was up above 80% of all my leads came from search. People okay. that found my website through search but none of those turned into a sale. 5% of my leads came from articles that I had written, PR that I had done, and links through that, links that I had gotten on other websites. 
people that came from there was less than 5% of my total leads, but those turned into sales. And so immediately what it, what it taught me is I need to go where the money is, not where the rankings are, mm, not where okay. the, you know, not just because I'm getting 90% of my leads from that channel. So what? What's happening with those leads? And what I learned is people coming from these PR articles, they were further in the buying cycle. People in search were early in the buying mm, cycle yeah. and they're still learning. Is this something we want to do? Is, is this a property we're interested in? They're still asking the big questions, whereas the ones that, that came from the articles, that came from the links on other sites, they'd already been doing the investigation. They were closer to the result. And so that experience there, coupled with the sales experience, just enabled me to really understand analytics at that level that, yeah, marketing's great, um, but how many rankings does it take to sell something? How many number one rankings puts money in your pocket? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's a indirect relationship there. The key is finding the direct relationship and affecting those numbers. And so that's where now I, you know, I describe myself sometimes as I, I help marketing and sales departments kiss and make up because you've got to work together in order to make this happen. That's funny. Kiss and make up. It's like coming into an old married couple or something. They don't ever <laughs> yeah. see eye to eye. That's funny. Hey, some of those departments act like that. Yeah. So, yes. so, so it's interesting how you've answered that question. Um, you you brought up things like the the sales funnel, and if if you're not familiar with the the sales funnel, it's uh broadly speaking, it's stages that a customer will take to uh, buy a product or a service that you're selling, and it it has very sundry phases. Basically, it's like awareness, consideration, and and purchase. And there are more people in the awareness phase and there's fewer people in the consideration phase and there's even fewer people in the uh, purchase phase, let's say. That's why it's called a funnel. And it, it's interesting that you note that you notice that, that there is a difference between the search engine ranking and where your leads were coming from. Uh, how did you how did you track those those links or, you know, how, how did you figure out where your customers were coming from? I had a uh, so I had an early version of web trends. Um, I it connected that to the site so I could see which which leads were coming from search, which leads were coming from other websites, uh, the pages that they landed on, um, and then all the way through to the contact or to the lead form. Mm -hmm. um, from that went into my spreadsheet, and then I maintained all of that in order to understand, you know, where where does the source of where they come from affect the outcome. Uh, so that's that's how I started doing it. Um, sounds and, like and this that was, was just a, sounds like this uh, is pre Google Analytics, or was this? Oh, absolutely, yeah, okay. yeah. This was Web Trends back in the '90s. Web Trends was really the the core analytics program um, into the 2000s. Uh, Google Analytics actually, in order to get analytics, they bought Urchin, uh, and this was probably boy, I want to say oh. 2005, 2006. Um, and I, at that time, used click tracks very extensively, uh, used Urchin as well. It was good for a few things, uh, but click tracks allowed me to do more sales tracking uh, and segmentation. Uh, Urchin wasn't there yet. So for a number of years, when Google bought Urchin, 
it still was basically a traffic reporter. It was not an analysis program. It was a reporting program. Uh, so that's why I still use things like click tracks. And uh, that was the primary one because it was more analysis enabling you to look. And I like, for example, I just want to see the, the visitors that came from that website and or I want to see the visitors that searched for this phrase. And I could see what pages they entered on, how many then went to the forums. And, and you could do tracking of how people use the site across, uh, uh, you know, across the site. So that was a little difference of, of, of you know, little history on analytics there as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sitting here like, okay, so we have Urchin, we have uh, Web Trends, and we have Click Tracks. And um, I, I've never heard of these things. <laughs> well, so when you're <laughs> what a marketer I am, but you know, and you use a UTM, yeah. UTM code stands for urchin tracking module. Uh, that's, and then yet, so it's Blowing still my UTM. Mind. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. That, that, that's the title of the episode right there is urchin, uh, tracking, uh, module. Uh, it, it was going to be called, uh, uh, new, new marketer or training the new, uh, marketing generation. But anyhow, <laughs> um, so, so there's, there's lots of things to keep track on. Um, like nowadays, what, what's the best way for people to, you know, get a handle on their numbers or start tracking those things? Like if they were a solo business or a, uh, Boy, smaller... what, the best, best thing right now, um, what do you want to track? Define that first. Okay. Um, you know, are you trying to track sales as a local business or what do you want? Um, that that's the biggest thing. Uh, so do you need, you know, brick and mortar sales, online sales? Are you looking to generate leads? Do you want walk-ins? What is it that you're trying to do? Because that then is going to determine what the best analytic solution would be for your website. Uh, now, for typical, I want to sell stuff or I want to get leads. Um, most people will default to Google Analytics and mm -hmm. I don't fault them. It's free, uh, but I have since dumped Google Analytics in the past year, uh, mainly because of the changes they're making and that they're going to make. Uh, when you put Google Analytics tracking on your site, it enables them to track everyone. Uh, it just gives them more data that they use to sell things. So in reality, they give you Google Analytics, but you're helping them make money by put that code on there. So it's one of the reasons why I've left. I now use a combination of Matomo and uh, Piwik Pro. Um, Matomo for a small business is probably a great free option. And it'll give you the basic analytics and you can grow into it. Uh, same with Piwik Pro uh, are, are two that I have really, um, I set up a specific list of things that I want out of analytics and those two programs deliver. And so I've, I've made that change now from uh, Google Analytics to these. And yeah, sometimes you're gonna have to pay for analytics, but that is also now, uh, if you want something that's privacy focused, you're gonna have to pay for it. Yeah, you bring up a, a good point. Um, actually two good points. One, um, you know, the, the things that you track online should be those things that you're really focused on in your business overall, right? So uh, if, you're, if your business has a goal of selling uh, or increasing sales 15% in the next quarter, then, then your job is to figure out how that is, is going to 
work out to your digital side. And um, then then figuring out where those are, are going to come from because your your um your website, your social media, and all that stuff should contribute to the uh, overall goal uh, that the business has. Because if you're out of alignment, then you're not going to see you're just going to be fighting all the time because you yep. don't understand. Um, here's an interesting question and one that I've really not explored, but should as a, as a marketer, uh, I guess I'm falling on my own sword here, but, um, websites and blogs are, I guess, created in my mind to rank for search and for keywords. And my question is, how would you advise a smaller business to create their keyword strategy and develop some sort of content around those keywords? Like what's a mm. crash course on like SEO and keyword uh, selection of things. Great. Crash course is, uh, I would get my hands on something to research keywords. Now there's a couple of free things that you can get such as answer the is a good thing. Good place to start. Uh, there's a couple other free things, but honestly, you know, it is well worth it to spend less than a hundred dollars and get a good keyword research tool such as word tracker. Uh, I highly, I love word tracker. What then I'll do is put in a couple of words or phrases related to the business. And then what it does is it shows you what people are searching for related to that. And now you can get an amazing amount of really market intelligence. Uh, and it's the best marketing intelligence you can get. It's better than focus groups. It's better than interviews. It's, it's better than all of that because people tell you what they think you want to hear when you're face to face and a search engine, people are honest. And so this keyword data is, is the honest appraisal of what people want. Uh, learn the words they use, learn the questions that they ask, learn how they describe their problem. Great example of this is even if you're selling, let's say something like an Apple Watch, all my keywords don't necessarily have to be around Apple Watch or anything like that. I can look at, well, why would someone get an Apple Watch? Well, a runner might get it or someone looking to get into shape who wants to use it as a heart monitor. Well, now that opens up a whole new set of keywords and I can start writing articles about, you know, how to get in shape and how an Apple Watch would help you get into shape. So looking at not just your product, but why would people use it? What solutions does it offer? And then you broaden out your content to really answer people's questions, to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And those problems aren't always uh, you know, using your product name. They're not always using your business name. Uh, you're helping people find ways, methods of solving their problems and then you just naturally write content, naturally communicate online through video, through social posts, through articles, through podcasts. You just talk like you're talking to a person. Uh, and, and then, you know, I, I always, you know, look at some basic HTML layout. There's always a headline. There is a subheading, maybe two or three subheadings based on sub content that you've got. You've got bullet points. Uh, and, and if you want to write online uh, for social media or in blogs, websites, write short paragraphs, no more than three sentences. Uh, people won't read anything that's longer than that. In fact, they might not even read three sentences. Uh, that's why bullet points are so good. Yeah. 
Wow, that, that's a good lesson here. Anybody that's listening to the Marketing Distilled podcast has got kind of like a really cheaply attained uh, SEO keyword strategy now, which is um, use use a tool like, uh, which is answer the public and spend less than a hundred bucks for a word tracker and uh, find out how people are searching for, you know, what problems they're searching for the solution to and then mm-hmm. write content that's addressing the uh, solution to that problem or question. And you can do that through uh, blog posts, podcast episodes, videos, uh, webinars, you name it. Man, th- this episode is worth me recording just for the, <laughs> the, the free advice here, for sure. Um, we we kind of had this, uh, We you alluded to it, and, and it's a question that I had uh, because I, I just don't know enough. Um, the original question was about Google Analytics 4 and what changes should marketers make and all that stuff. But I'm going to pivot that question based on what you've you've uh, you've said already, where uh, you're recommending uh, services like Piwik Pro and Matomo. Um, why why are those services better or or uh, a better choice than Google Analytics for? And what what's the feature benefit mm-hmm. analysis there? Google Analytics four is a, a a massive departure from Google Analytics Universal. Which, if you set up analytics, I would say prior to a year ago, or even maybe more than a year ago, the default was Google Analytics Universal. And if you're used to working in that, now all of a sudden you go to Google Analytics 4, it's a completely different product. Uh, and the problem is Google Analytics 4 is built for more data savvy people, more data scientists, more data thinking. Whereas Google Analytics Universal is built for, you know, it was hard enough for a business owner to understand it's barely easy enough for a marketer to understand. Now, and, and those were the two biggest groups using Google Analytics. Now you go to GA4 and you've got to be immersed in data science to understand the setup, to develop your own reports, to do all these things. Business owners don't have time for that. They don't want to, business owners would rather go to the dentist than do marketing. And so to expect them to take the time to learn how to use GA4, no, they won't. Marketers just want to know basic numbers. They just want to see some, you know, like I said, I've got a list of five reports that I study. And those are the ones that I base decisions off of and they're going away. Uh, So that's one thing. It's just it's a completely different product. It's not an upgrade. It's different. Uh, So the other side of it is the privacy side of it. Mm Um, when you put Google tags on your site, you're enabling Google to essentially place cookies uh, to. And, and that's the thing. It's still considered a first party cookie or a first party relationship. So even people who are visiting your site, Google knows who's visiting your site. And now they have a profile that this person's interested in this thing mm-hmm. because their tag is on your site. So. It, it, it's enough of a privacy issue that right now within the EU, um, there's a massive overhaul now of realizing that because Google collects so much data, it doesn't adhere to EU privacy standards. And so a couple of countries now have basically said we're not 
we're not going to allow Google Analytics uh, because of the privacy problems. And so that's part of it. So, you know, like I said, it's free, but what's the cost of free? And somebody's always paying for something. Yeah. There's other options out there that'll give you what you want. It, uh, it reminds me of what I was exposed to when I watched, uh, the social dilemma, the the Netflix documentary with, uh, Jaron Lanier and, uh, Tristan Harris and so many others. It, It really opened my eyes to kind of what, what I did or what I'm doing as a marketer and like the ethics behind all, all the things that we're doing. Uh, so, yeah. so I, I guess you would say to business owner who's wanting to, you know, what, what do they do in light of GA, uh, UA or Google analytics universal being kind of thrown in the trash can of digital history. And now we have this new tool called uh, Google analytics Four. um, should the business owner, you know, what, what should the business owner do? And you're like, none of those things. Uh, get Pitwick Pro or a, another uh, analysis tool like Matomo to really start figuring out what you're doing because of the, the privacy issues and the, the things inherent with, with yeah. all that. I, I, I did not know that there was like, uh, a, I mean, when, when, you, when you talk about GA uh, Universal right now, it's like, uh, you, you say that when a visitor comes to uh, your website, Google knows who they are and they, they kind of cookie them. Um, it it kind of brings back memories of, of like the Facebook pixel mm-hmm. where yeah. Facebook sees that you've gone to this website and now they have more data to, to pull to sell. Absolutely. It's, it's so, so, yep. so like Jaron Lanier has this term in, in his book, uh, um, 10 reasons to delete your social media profiles now or whatever. And he mm-hmm. calls it bummer. I don't know what, what the, what the acronym stands for, but it's that kind of thing where it's like, you've just been bummed because uh, some Silicon Valley company has gotten some more information that they're going to use to sell you more stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. Absolutely. That That's what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, as a business owner, figure out what data you need to know, um, go evaluate some of these other options and, and they may be easier to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may be easier to maintain. So you may find, uh, and that's the thing, the, the interface of Google analytics, either universal or uh, four is terrible. Yeah. Um, the interface in both of them have, are not well understood. And um, it's amazing as many instructions as they have, people still have to take classes to learn how to work it. Right. Um, so there are better options that, yeah, and they're funded through being paid, but it creates a much better experience for a website owner who wants to take more control and understand more of what's happening. Man, shoot, that's great. Um so we, we've talked about those the, those keywords and things like that. Any business has got to track their metrics. And and I'm sure that you have kind of an idea of what those metrics are. So maybe that was that maybe that's the first question I should have led with, but what are those fundamental metrics that everybody should should track on their website and SEO and keywords and things like that? I like to know where people are coming from. That that's the first thing I look at is uh, where are they coming from? Uh, And then I also like to look at a scattered distribution, such as uh, when I'm looking for uh, an attribution is one of those things in 
of, of trying to attribute where sales came from or where a conversion came from. Uh, Google Analytics Universal was a last click attribution. What that means is the last thing that someone did, if they came from search, even if they visited your site 10 times before, if they came from search the last time and then bought something, search was given 100% of the credit. Google Analytics Universal is changing that to a first click attribution. And the reason why they're changing that is because traditionally, because of last click attribution, it devalued Google search ads because Google search ads were in the attribution flow. Uh, people would typically find a site through the search ads, but then they would come back and buy later. So Google ads wouldn't show up in attribution. Well, now with a first click attribution in, in Google uh, GA4, it's going to show that Google ads is a significant contributor. Um, and so, yeah, people were making decisions based off of that. I like more of the even attribution. I want to know every channel every that, step has, of the way. that contributes to a visitor's experience, regardless of whether, you know, and again, the attribution you use is based on the question you have. So I'm going to use first click attribution to know how did people first find out about me? Then I'm going to use, uh, you know, an equal attribution to know what all channels were influential in the mm -hmm. process. I'll use a last click to know, did my campaigns, was that the deciding factor in getting people in or did they just come naturally and decide to buy? Uh, so it helps me understand which, which sales were part of my marketing and which sales maybe would have happened anyway without a specific campaign. Uh, so though th that's the type of data I'm looking at because I wanna know what channels people used, uh, where did they come from? And then look at their behavior. How engaged were they? Uh, what are they doing? And, and by engagement, I just don't mean liking. It's how many pages, how much time, what did they do anything? Uh, did they scroll through the pages? Did they download anything? Did they play a video? And ultimately, did they fill out a form or go where I wanted them to go and at least hit a page where there is a consideration of a conversion? Uh, developing that kind of understanding of what people are doing on the site. That's what I'm looking for when I, when I look for analytics. Uh, but ultimately my, my big granddaddy metric is the value per visit. And okay. that's where I take all these things that people do. So if they download something that's, that has value and I add value to it. If they watch a video that has value because I'm answering their question. And if they sign up that has value. Uh, because they're a potential lead. And when they do become uh, a student on my site, uh, then that has a value. And so I'll create values for all these activities that are happening on the site. And then I can look at a report that says this month I created this much in value by all these people doing things. And what it's doing is kind of recalculating the big conversion point. My goal the value of that goal, and then I just sort of reverse engineer the value through the funnel. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then I can track back and see, you know, like for example, right now, LinkedIn is not only my best social media, it brings the most value even more than search engine traffic. Uh, so, but, and now I'm not just measuring the amount of visitors I got, I'm not just measuring the amount of clicks I got, 
I'm not just measuring the amount of engagement. I'm measuring value. And I can see where my average LinkedIn visitor is worth more than a search engine visitor. And so again, it gets me back to that ultimate goal value, that ultimate economic impact of if I measure this, that will now guide my attention. Wow. Okay. So let me distill that down. You're, you're looking at, um, I mean, guys, if you're listening to this episode, this is like, this is gold. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to put the email address for Matt in, in the show notes. And uh, if you want to like send him an invoice or, or pay him money, then go do that. But so, so what I'm, an invoice. Don't send me an invoice. Yeah. Or you know, just, just do something, buy him a coffee right. or whatever. He he'll, he'll love you for it. Um, so, so you're talking about like where people are coming from, like where, where your sources of, of traffic and then all the things that you're, that, 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 uh, that a visitor will do on your website, whether it's you know, the pages that they visit, the videos that they watch, the uh, you know the the downloads that they do, the forms that they fill out to kind of get get a picture of you know kind of it sounds like what you're doing is um, matching their behavior uh, with what you have mapped out on your funnel, so that those things kind of merge together and make sense uh, with it all. And mm-hmm. then uh, you're you're tracking like a ratio of of how much money they're spending on the site, or you know how much revenue you're making per per visit to uh, make 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 your website worthwhile and, and to track what's going on with that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Absolutely, and and it's understanding that you know how people find your site in large part determines their behavior. Uh, you can see distinct differences when people find your site from, you know, Facebook or Instagram uh, as to LinkedIn. There is a distinct difference in how long people will stay and what they'll do uh, and the number of pages they view. Uh, so it, things like that, you know, when you can start uncovering that kind of intelligence about your business online and it changes how you market. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, I got another bill to pay, and uh, right. we'll be back with the next section of our interview. This episode of Marketing Distilled is brought to you by Asana Partners. Great marketing programs are driven by teams with smart marketing strategies. Unfortunately, coordinating work across a fragmented mix of spreadsheets, emails, and shared calendars can result in teams losing sight of their strategy, misaligning on goals, and duplicating work. According to the Anatomy of Work Index, marketers spend as much as 60% of their time on work about work, like reporting status updates and chasing approvals. On top of that, 26% of all deadlines are missed each week due to an increased lack of clarity. Asana operationalizes your marketing strategy and executes all of your work in one place so everyone, from managers to individual contributors, has clarity on plans and goals. Get started today by going to jonathangaby.com slash Asana. That's jonathangaby.com slash Asana. And we're back with the uh, Marketing Sold podcast. I'm joined by Matt Bailey. Now, Matt uh, has written uh, a couple, three books, and I'm keen on, I guess, this one. It's how to teach 
old tricks to new dogs. I teach new dogs, old tricks, new dogs, old tricks. I I, I knew I was going to flood that and I didn't practice it enough, (laughs) but it's my show. I can make mistakes if I want to. That's all right. So I, I guess I would classify myself as a new dog. I'm, I'm coming into the marketing relatively new, uh, even though I've got some, some background in it, some, some understanding. What are those uh, old tricks that new dogs need to learn? Great, great question. And that's, yeah, so the book is Teach New Dogs Old Tricks. And really the, the basis of the book is because I was brought into a company, this was probably about 15 years ago, um, they were repurposing their sales staff because most of the sales was now happening uh, digitally. And it was just interesting to watch just how much the human factor was going down and the digital factor was going up. So we have this whole sales team that we need to repurpose into the organization. And so I was brought in to teach them marketing. And what was interesting is as I'm working with them, I'm like, they already know marketing. They know sales and they know some really awesome things about how people think and how to approach people. It was the the training was more them learning how to relate sales principles to marketing. And having gone through sales training myself, I applied so many of those things that I learned in sales training to my online marketing. So, for example, keyword research is a perfect example, because if you've ever gone into a store and if you've ever talked to a salesperson, have you ever had a salesperson that does 90% of the talking? Mm-hmm. And isn't that frustrating because you kind of know what you want, but they just won't shut up. And so good marketing is about listening. Good sales is about listening because if you listen, you hear keywords, you hear concerns, you hear the questions that people have and the problems that they, that they're relating. And so keyword research from a sales standpoint is all about listen more than talk hear what the problem really is so that you can solve that problem. And so, you know, we're just taking some of these, these, the traditional sales techniques that have been around for, uh, you know, like a hundred years or more, maybe a thousand, and we're applying them to the online realm. And, you know, one of the next ones was ask for the sale as a salesperson. Once you've made that pitch now, in order to make that pitch, you've got to understand the difference between benefits, uh, and, um, You know, what are features? What are benefits? Are you selling in a way that makes it attractive for someone? Do you and your call to action is asking for the sale, Uh, making it easy for someone then to decide, yes, I want to do that. Uh, So we just go through really kind of the sales process and how it applies online through keyword research, through conversion optimization. Uh, and, and when we apply those keywords, it helps our ranking. Uh, and even the design has its roots in persuasion. Uh, so it's really getting into the, the principles of persuasion through sales and how they apply in HTML. Uh, so that, that's really the basis of the book. Hmm. So you're, you're distilling down like, um, who's the guy that wrote, uh, I think his name is Robert. Cialdini, like about persuasion or like how to persuade people. And a friend of mine said, uh, I think he was like a Latin guy. I've never taken Latin in school, so forgive me. Nobody cares. <laughs> but but he, he, 
he described persuasion as you know, persuade is really to make sweet, yeah, to make attractive to someone to to do, and so that's mm-hmm. all we really do. I I like what you said about listening. I mean, as as I was listening, I uh, I I was reminded that the only reason why I got a job as a car salesman for uh, a meager six months that I was working as a cal- uh, as a car salesman is because the guy that hired me thought that I listened well. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't have a lot to say. Partially mm-hmm. because I didn't know the product, but don't tell him I said that. Right. But it, it was just an, uh, a nice illustration that uh, old dogs know how to listen and new dogs also should learn how to listen. Yep. And, and that's what keyword research is all about. It's listening to your audience. What do they want? And taking that and making that part of your pitch, making that, I love that, that makes sweet, that makes so much sense. I'll, I'll throw some, so going into philosophy, Aristotle said that people make decisions ultimately because they are looking for happiness. Mm -hmm. And that is the ultimate basis of anyone's decision. Will it make me happy? And that you just got to keep that in the back of your mind the whole time. Um, If you make it sweeter, it'll make them happy and they'll, they'll go for it. Yeah. Um, kind of, kind of tangentially to that is like, you're, you're, you're always wanting to make sure that you're selling the transformation. It's like the, when, when you go to the hardware store to buy a drill bit, you're not buying the drill bit. You're really buying a hole. Yes. And that hole you can put anywhere you want. That's, that's pretty powerful. Uh, I like the fact that you mentioned ask for the sale. Um, hearkening to my political background, uh, I do have a background in politics a little bit, and they always told us is that when when you're with a voter, you always want to ask for their vote. Uh, I, I guess that's something that 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 uh, uh, Kentucky uh, politicians really uh, hit mm-hmm. home is that when you're talking to a voter, you always ask for the vote if, yep. because the voter says, "Well, he didn't ask for my vote. I shouldn't yes. vote for him." And similarly, in a sales or in marketing uh, environment, if you don't ask for the sale, well, you have not because you asked not. You didn't ask right. somebody to buy them. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and, it's getting that commitment. Um, whether And that's another one of the other principles is you can get a – when you start talking with someone – you get a small commitment before you ask for the big commitment. Oh yeah. So, you know, this gets into how we sell that. Hey, download this. Uh, and in order to download it, give me your email address. That's a small commitment. The big commitment is now fill out the lead form. Sure. Uh, so it, it's, and asking for a vote is a small commitment, but it commits somebody. They've now spoken it. They've now got it out there. So now there's an obligation. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of science into that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to chase a rabbit here, but I've been uh, watching uh, some documentaries on cults, chief yeah. among them uh, Scientology. And what I have learned, and, and I hope to God I'm not going to be fair game because I, I mentioned Scientology in a podcast. God <laughs> only knows what Joe Rogan has to deal with. But uh, anyhow, what, what I learned from watching this documentary is that the way that uh, a, a cult like Scientology will market to people is that they just have uh, they have their lead-in uh, magnet, which is uh, take this personality assessment and yes. this personality assessment has nothing to do with personality, and they all score everybody equally as bad, like you've all got something wrong with you. And so they, they try to get you into this course, and so here's the lead magnet, here's the lead gen, 
we've got you in our system. And now here's a course on like communications or study habits or, you know, how to learn better, be a better person. Mm -hmm. And they'll make you pay 50, 60, whatever the course is. And then from what I understand on this documentary is that now you're on the bridge, which is this whole like long uh, path to, to freedom, I guess, that costs you like, uh, and Leah Remini is saying that people spend, you know, half a, half a million dollars to get on the bridge. And it, it's just a, just an interesting thing. I've, I've wanted to yeah. do a podcast episode about how cults market themselves, but I'm afraid wow. that, uh, the, uh, office of special affairs at in the Scientology <laughs> department is going to like fair game my house. And I don't want to do that because I don't really have a dog in the fight, but yeah, the, all these, all these lessons are, are really interesting about how, uh, older, the, the fundamentals are always going to be be sound, no matter if you're on digital, if you're on direct mail or, uh, you know, telemarketing or whatever that, you know, you, you, you make a phone call, you listen to their problems, sell them on the feature and benefit, and then say, may I have your business and just shut mm -hmm. up. Well, and the other half to that whole story is working with younger marketers who understand how the technology works. They just don't know what's going on behind it, um, how to write a compelling message, how to put in a hook, how to put in a call to action, how to research an audience. Um, it, it was very interesting to see younger marketers coming in who they understand the technology, but not what's driving the technology, mm. the messaging. Uh, and, and as a result right now, I'm like, we've got so many marketers out there. Analytics is my number one requested course. And it's also the the skill that most people are the most afraid of. Yeah. Uh, but it's because the technology for so long, we're hiring social media managers, we're hiring TikTok managers, we're hiring, you know, Google Plus managers, and I don't know what they're doing now. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is now is what are you doing in marketing? Uh, tactics are one thing. Understanding the marketing is a completely different thing. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think I should pick up that book. I'll, I'll find it. Where, where can people find that book? Uh, it is on Amazon. On uh, Amazon. There. Yes. You could probably get the book from a warehouse in my backyard. <laughs> uh, not not seriously, but, you know, I, I could probably, uh, I mean, CVG, the uh, airport is, is right right near my oh, house. Yeah. And so there, there's like that big new Amazon place that they put in. Um, it's great living in the, in the Amazonian rainforest of Northern Kentucky, because I can get stuff with like five hours and oh, it's all great. distribution goes through there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, just order, yeah. uh, I order crap just to track it, see where it's gone and where it goes. <laughs> um, I'm going to pay my last bill here, Matt, and right. uh, we're going to come back with some lightning round um, cool. questions. This episode of Marketing Distilled is sponsored by Evernote. With our lives becoming more complex every day, Evernote helps you make sense of it all and avoid overwhelm. Capture, sort, and use all the information you encounter during your day. Ideas, emails, documents, websites, pictures, audio, and more. Stay on top of your to-do list by creating tasks that live inside your notes. Link those notes to calendar events so that you're prepared for every meeting and see it all in a convenient, customizable dashboard. Once you capture something in Evernote, it's saved forever. 
powerful search functionality makes it easy to find what you need later. So Evernote becomes your second brain, where you can not only store information, but connect those ideas and put them to work for you. With Evernote, you can remember everything, be more productive, and accomplish anything. Get started today by going to jonathangaby.com slash Evernote to sign up for an account today. That's jonathangaby.com slash E-V-E-R-N-O-T-E. And we're back with Matt Bailey, leader of SiteLogic on uh, digital marketing for gosh darn near everybody these days. And uh, we're going to kind of bring the episode in for a landing, kind of harken back to CVG Airport, which is probably one of the busiest freight uh, airports in uh, the region, uh, as testified by the, the amount of planes that go over my, my head on a daily basis. I like to end every episode with uh, an interview uh, that I have with uh, a fun lightning round questions. These questions have been prepared at random by me, and I have not shared these questions at all with the uh, subject I am interviewing. And so, here we go. Matt, are you ready for today's lightning round? All right. Lay it on me. All right. Coke or Pepsi? Neither. Okay. What What do you like? <laughs> Coffee. Coffee. Okay. Uh, Duncan or Starbucks? Duncan. Oh, yeah, you're from Northern Ohio. I, I, <laughs> I am originally from the East Coast, Jonathan, so I am loyal. Okay, yeah. Uh, forgiveness or permission? Ooh, boy. Tim Hines liked that question. Oh, man. You know, it, it, I'm, I'm going to refuse to answer because it might incriminate me because for myself, it would be one way. For my daughters, it would be another. Hey man, you, you're the you're the head of the household. You can you can make rules and you can bend them too. Oh yeah, yeah. Tell them that. Yeah, <laughs> they they remember I everything. Like think so. So all right. So if you could have a dinner with anyone from history, living or dead, who would it be, and what would you talk about? Uh, it would be Aristotle, and I would really just listen and answer his questions. So stay away from Socrates or Socrates. <laughs> All right. My last question, uh, dream vacation location with your family. Where'd you go and why? Ooh, um, you know what? I, I took the family to Costa Rica a couple years ago and we can't beat that. Um, that's, that's probably one of the only places we are returning to. So that, that would be it. Costa Rica. I've never been to Costa Rica. Uh, makes me think of like, jungles and heat and sweat and machetes it was amazing yes <laughs> all that stuff <laughs> I, i'd come back with more bug bites and i know what to do with well matt bailey it has been a uh, pleasure and a privilege to get to interview you on the marketing distilled podcast um where can people find out more about you if they're interested in finding out more about you on the internet well, first is the website that is sitelogic.com and that is S-I-T-E-L-O-G-I-C, sitelogic.com. Uh, and then also I have uh, an online learning courses 
set up for marketers, uh, for new marketers, uh, marketers with a couple years. If you want to get certified uh, through the OMCP, I have a certification prep course. Uh, but I'm also now uh, I've got two out of uh, two part of three parts of an analytics course. Uh, set up. The third part will be loaded here in the next week or two. Uh, and then I'll just be continuing to add more and more courses. But I also have some free courses on there as well about SEO, local SEO. Uh, and that is at learn.sitelogic.com. And where can we find you on the social medias? Uh, primarily on LinkedIn. That's where I'm put, That's where I'm focusing my time and attention. Uh, so look for Matt Bailey SiteLogic on LinkedIn. Okay, so Matt Bailey, Site Logic. Okay, I'll look that up and I'll add that to the show notes uh, that will be published on the website at jonathangaby.com. Matt, again, it's been such a uh, privilege and a pleasure to get to know you and to interview you on the Marketing Distilled podcast. Uh, for my listeners, tune in uh, for the next episode. Uh, where I'll cover topic on a solo episode. I don't know what that's going to be about yet, but it'll be a whiz banger. Get to know, uh, get to know something new about social media or something. Uh, thanks for tuning in. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.